The reading this morning is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting to read at verse 28. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. This is the word of the Lord. Chapter 15 and verses 11 to 32. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. And he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Wonderful story. Good morning and a happy Father's Day. The, the comments I'm about to make relate to fathers, but they also relate to those of us who are not fathers. A monkey went into a country pub, sat down at the bar, and ordered a pint of bitter. He paid for his pint with a ten-pound note, and the barman gave him one-pound change. 
they chatted about the weather, the football, and the sorts of things which monkeys usually talk about. And the monkey said, I'll bet you don't have too many monkeys coming into your bar, do you? No, we don't, replied the barman. So the monkey leaned over the bar and said, Mind you, I'm not surprised when you're charging nine quid a pint. (laughs) Now we find that story amusing because of the unexpected twist at the end. And I've chosen a well-known Bible parable, which we usually refer to as the prodigal son. But I want to turn it the other way round and see it as the forgiving father. It's Father's Day, but even if you're not a father, and maybe not even a man, the one thing that we all have in common is that we all have a father. I realise that causes problems for some folk, perhaps because they didn't enjoy a constructive relationship with their father. Perhaps they never knew him. Maybe their mother remarried and they had, as it were, two fathers. Some may have been brought up by their mother in a single parent family. And and some single mothers do an absolutely fantastic job of bringing up their children single-handed, being both a father and a mother. Nevertheless, I want to make a few general points. I'm sure you've heard many sermons in the past on the Bible passage which we've just read. It's reasonable to assume that the Father here gives us a picture of what God is like. He is there waiting for his son to return. He forgives him and is delighted to renew the relationship and celebrate the relationship. Relationships are important, aren't they? My children don't address me by name. They address me by referring to the relationship which we have. That special bond which unites us. Dad. In the Lord's Prayer, we address God as our Father, Abba, Dad. Relationships play such an important role in life, don't they? Just think for a moment about what you really value in life. Health. Home. Your car the lovely countryside we have here in Shropshire, sport, your mobile phone, or being with others. If you had to choose between a top five-star meal at a luxury restaurant on your own, or a plate of fish and chips with a close friend, which would you choose? I'd choose the fish and chips option to be with a friend every time. Which is why I often go out for a pint with a friend 
Not because I'm desperate for a drink, I hasten to add. But because it gives me the chance to relate to somebody else and have fellowship at a deeper level with that person. In a few days, uh, in fact on Tuesday evening, we're having a men's barbecue, which I'm really really looking forward to as the other men who are coming. But why are they looking forward to it? Because of the no star cuisine and my fantastic burnt sausages? No. (laughs) It's because we have the opportunity to get together and talk. In fact, the whole purpose of the exercise is not the doing, but the being. It's interesting, in in John's Gospel, in a passage which we didn't read this morning, uh, Jesus encouraged his, his disciples by giving them a glimpse of what heaven would be like. And he said he was going to prepare a place for them. Why? That you also may be where I am. Not doing, but being. We have many pictures in scripture of what God is like. The word, light, light of the world, bread of life, shepherd, king. The one I relate to best is the concept of father. God is called father 245 times in the New Testament. You can check it out if you like. Back in the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas, the theologian and philosopher, concluded, in spite of all his thinking and praying and study, that he had not yet begun to understand God the Father and what that really meant, the depth that that had. And yet Jesus said, I and the the Father are one. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So as we look at Jesus, we have a clearer idea of what God the Father is really like. Here's a question. How would you wish to be remembered when they come to write your obituary? Would you be like to be, to be thought of as a genius? Somebody who made great advances in the arts or sciences? Or maybe someone with a great sense of humour? A good cook? A gifted sportsman? A whiz on the IT? A great preacher? I don't know. I really don't know. I'd settle for... He was a good father. Which implies that I had an ongoing, positive, constructive relationship with my children. Just a personal example here. When my my son Andrew was only 13, we were walking along the street and he said to me, You're my best mate. How do you think I felt? 
That was the greatest compliment I've ever been paid. And in fact, I don't expect to get a better compliment than that. But he wasn't saying so much about me as a person, as much as he was talking about our special relationship. So if the concept of God as Father gives us some inkling of what God is really like, what does it teach us? Cue picture. <laughs> if this works, oh, that's fantastic, good. <laughs> Look at this picture. You can see a toddler holding his father's hand. I find that very sweet. He trusts his father. His father won't let him down. He feels secure. His father can do anything. I trawled through hundreds of pictures and I think that was about the best one I found. Thank you very much. It reminds me of the story of the little boy whose father took him out for a walk by the sea. And little boys have got lots of questions. The little boy said, Dad, why is the sand so soft today? I don't know, son. A few minutes later, Dad, um, why is there sand here but rocks and stones over there? Um, I don't know, son. Dad, why is the sea so blue today? Because it was grey last time we came. I don't know, son. So the little lad was getting a bit exasperated and he didn't want to upset his dad. And he said, Dad, you don't mind me asking these questions, do you? And he said, no, son. You don't learn unless you ask questions. <laughs> As, as human fathers, we all have our limitations. Not, not, not only fathers, but people of all ages. People of both sexes. But God, our Father, has our interests at heart. And he's not subject to these limitations. And he wants the best for us. As it says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I wonder what idea we have of God. Do we see him as some remote being who's uninterested in us? Or as a father who wants the best for us? and wishes to have a, a meaning relationship with us. The closer we are to our children, the more they copy us. A bit worrying at times, but <laughs> they take on our characteristics, even our turns of phrase and our mannerisms. Even in the same way, the closer we are to God, the more we become like him. How closely are you following? How closely, for that matter, am I following our Heavenly Father? 
Children give their parents presents, which is a bit ironical, because it is usually the parents who give them the money to buy them. We say, don't we, often in the liturgy, all things come from you and of your own do we give you, which actually comes from First Chronicles 29. But it's true, it's so true, isn't it? So nothing is really ours which we haven't been given. But are we generous givers, not just as fathers, but all of us, whether we're fathers or not, whatever our situation? And do we give to Father God not just money, but time? At Christmas time, we sing Christmas carols. And some of those carols are quite perceptive. And some of them, if I'm honest, drive me absolutely mad. How about in the deep midwinter, which seems ever so trivial at first, uh, talking about the weather and so on, and it seems a bit childish. And then you get to the last verse. And what does the last verse say? What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what I can I give him? Give my heart. Now you can say the form of expression is childish. Yes, it's meant to be. But isn't it deep? God the Father wants a relationship with us which involves our whole being not just bits. My son Andrew is now 24 and he's running his own business. But when he was a child, one of the things, one of the joys of <laughs> fatherhood, um, we used to act out events in the Bible. Some of those that we chose were, one, one was Cain and Abel, that was a bit of fun and fireworks there. Adam and Eve, when they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. That was a good one. And especially David and Goliath. And guess who had to play Goliath? <laughs> I must have thought many times, poor old Goliath, couldn't he win just once? <laughs> I got fed up with being knocked over and having my head chopped off. But anyway, the interesting thing is the event which really captured Andrew's imagination was the death of Eli the priest. Now, this <coughs> is in the, in the book of Samuel. Uh, he was 98 years old. He was blind. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I wouldn't call my children that, but still. <laughs> and when Eli heard that they'd been killed in battle and that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, he fell backwards off his chair broke his neck and died. Well, he was 98 years old. He had a pretty good run, hadn't he? And that sounds sad, doesn't it? However, <laughs> not so. Andrew saw it as pure farce and found the whole incident riotously funny. And you can think, we, as we were acting this out, you know, this was a different spin on scripture for me. In actual fact, though, if you look at that incident, the situation was much more serious than Andrew thought. 
Eli's sons, Eli the, the priest, his sons brought discredit to his name. You can read that in 1, chap- 1 Samuel chapter 2 when you go home. Whether Eli had been a bad father or not, I don't know. But what we read about Eli and his sons reminds us of the responsibilities which fathers have as they bring up their children. If I can expand this a little further, it's true that we all have responsibilities to those with whom we come into contact. To our families, we have special responsibilities, but we also have responsibilities to other people as well. And I wonder, do others know that we're Christians, that we have a faith in God? We may not be perfect, I'm certainly not. But do others see something of God reflected in us? Something which they wish that they too could enjoy? How often have we heard folks say that they wish that they could have some experience of God in their lives? Even if they don't express it in that way, they use different words. And if everything I've said makes us feel that we've fallen short of our own standards, let alone God's standards, we can always come back to our Heavenly Father, seek forgiveness and renew our relationship with him, just like the prodigal son in today's reading. In conclusion, can I leave you with a few simple challenges? Do we see God as our Father? And do we try to get to know him better? Do we feel secure in the fact that Father God knows best and that he has our best interests at heart? Does knowing Father God have any effect on the way we live our lives? Do we give to God, not just money, but our very selves? And do others see that knowing God makes a difference to our lives? When I was at university, I used to go cross-country running. And at the end of the race, there was always a man who would slap us on the back and say, well done, lad. Actually, he didn't. It was up north, so it was well done, lad. I was so encouraged by that. But I wonder, when you reach the end of your life, what will Father God say to you? Amen. Amen.